0: listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed-race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster and now mask maker in this podcasting game. We are back from hiatus. I, as y'all know, I take a month off every three months for mental health to kind of decompress and disconnect a little bit from how much work goes into producing these shows and decompressing from all the stories that I receive over the course of those three months. Because sometimes we deal with a lot of heavy stuff here on Militantly Mix, as you all know, and I need a place to put it. And it sometimes backs up on me. When my first hiatus of the year popped up in in April, I decided not to take it because we had just started sheltering in place and things were so dramatic and it just didn't feel like a good time to unplug from the community. So we kept it going. And then the civil unrest started. The the protests and the community organization started to come together in such a big way following the murders of George Floyd and Sean Reed and Brianna Taylor and Tony McDade. And we it was just so much that we needed to be connected to our community in a time when we really should have been sheltering in place, we still needed touchstones to each other and I wasn't ready to unplug again. I mean, emotionally, mentally I probably needed the break, but emotionally and mentally I could not unplug yet and I decided to to stick it out a little bit longer. But then it really started to back up on me. Not taking that break in April and how heavy everything was related to COVID and the civil unrest, I, I it just really started backing up on me towards the end of June. And I decided to go ahead and take uh, July off, which was a month earlier than I would have normally done a hiatus. But it was just time since I skipped previously. So I took July off, hoping it would be a time to rest and unplug and and get my um, mental health a little bit calmer. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that didn't happen. I'm sure everybody is dealing with some form of this, but there has been some loss that I've learned about this month. Um, Family members, extended family members, uh, friends or friends that were as close as family, you know, they're so far, oddly, not COVID related for me, actually. But, um, but there, you know, there's been a few people that have lost recently and, had to kind of process that. I I experienced my first zoom funeral this week and, and that was such a strange way to say goodbye to somebody. Um, it was a mixed bag of feeling grateful for the technology and also just how impersonal and detached it, it was. So there, there's been, there's been loss and that's been what it is. Um, and then additionally, just life has been extremely busy. I work during the day at a private school and getting that place ready for the possibility that children were going to come back for school has been pretty stressful, even though I'm in the HR side. Well, because I'm in the HR side, it's been stressful because there's a lot to learn about what's going on related to to COVID. And then there was all these hirings that we had to do to accommodate uh, spreading the classes out only to find out that we're probably going to stay remote anyway for a good portion of the first part of the fall. Um, So it's just been heavy, like work has been so heavy. So it has been a stressful time. In addition to that, and unintentional, I ended up opening two businesses. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess rewind a little bit. Uh so before I went on hiatus, I may have mentioned a few times that I had started making masks as, as sort of a coping mechanism for me to, to process what was happening with, with, the, with COVID. Uh, it's something that's actually really stressed me out, even though it hasn't directly touched my life. I wanted to be a participant in helping the community, but I didn't want to be on the front lines and, and put my family or my coworkers at risk because I made choices to go out. So I decided to stay in, and the best way that I felt that I could contribute was to utilize a small skill that I had, and I started making masks. Uh, I started making them mostly for donations. I had donated masks to a few organizations that I um, admire, and then a few people reached out to me and asked if I would donate to their organizations. Uh, There's been some friends or people that I know that were being touched by COVID that I knew needed masks that I sent them to as well. And then as pictures of the masks started to pop up, either from my posts or others, I started getting asked if people could buy my masks. And I decided to um, sell them to use the money to to buy more fabric for more masks for more donations and things like that. Uh, and then it it got to be pretty consuming. It was really hard to to not take a bit of that money for my time because it was actually detracting from other things that I was doing financially. Uh, so I decided to, to start selling them for real, for real, because I was being asked so often and it got hard to, to run it through emails and DMS and, and things like that. So I started a website masks by main, m a n e com. Uh, most of my masks are culturally focused. There are, uh, some West African fabrics, some Japanese fabrics, some indigenous native American fabrics, I have some geek stuff on there too, although that keeps that keeps being sold out pretty quickly. So I am trying to get more fabric in for there as well. And then randomly, I've had some requests from friends and family for specific things like sports teams and, and such. And um, and so if I have any leftovers, I put those up as well. Uh, but I have a quite a bit of variety. I'm going to get some more things up there soon, and um, that has turned into an actual proper business. I'm I'm actually selling quite a bit of masks, and I did not expect that to happen. I just thought it would be this kind of side thing that I can do to make me feel like I was contributing to the fight to flatten this curve. And now it's actually a pretty consuming part of my, my daily, my daily life. Uh, So I, I ended up getting a logo and some cute envelopes and things like that. And now I have like a really professional looking product that I did not expect to be doing. Uh, That ended up giving me a lot of work during July. And then we ended up announcing the business that I have been working on for the better part of the last year that I've been kind of alluding to in the intros, but haven't been able to talk about. Um, I can finally talk about it now, but what was holding up me being able to talk about it is, you know, there was legal papers that needed to be signed and, and things that needed to to be checked off before it was time to tell everybody. And because my business that I'm opening is out of state, um, you know, there was a lot to learn and a lot of work to do to make this happen. And then the Rona hit and it gummed up the works a little bit. So we had to go back in and retool our plan to figure out how to keep this thing going and build this foundation until we're able to open a physical space. So now is the time that I can finally publicly talk about it. Uh, some about two weeks ago, my business partner, Byron and I, announced that we are opening a comic book store called Gulf Coast Cosmos Comic Book Co. It is going to be in the third ward of Houston and we are basically we shared a mission. We were both working on something like this separately from each other. And in a conversation because we went to business school together, we were in the same program, uh we were talking to each other just in in terms of like, you know, this is what I'm working on, what are you working on and and we ended up having such a shared mission that we decided to not do it alone and actually partner up. And so what we're doing with Gulf Coast Cosmos is uh, we're trying to expand the reach of the comic and gaming culture among minority communities. And we are putting ourselves in the third ward of Houston because, one, in terms of community, it's exactly the type of community that would reflect the mission that we have. And two, my business partner lives in Houston. And he was actually participating in a program that was helping him build this business up in this community with a community buy-in basically. The community wants this place and he was building it. And I've partnered with him because my version of that same idea that I was trying to do here in California was easily five years away. This way I could actually be doing this sooner rather than later and have a partner who has the same passion that I have for comics and and seeing ourselves represented in them also had a Community support, a community buy in where he is located. Uh, so you can check us out on Facebook. We are Gulf Coast Cosmos. Uh, so, Facebook.com slash Gulf Coast Cosmos. We are now doing a t shirt fundraiser to kind of help us with the finishing aspects of our e commerce site, which will launch in August. Um, in our e commerce site, we will initially be offering independent comics, uh, a lot of things that ref- reflect brown and black people. So that you can see yourself in books and uh, we'll have some toys and swag up there as well. Uh, but that's the beginning of the foundation until we are able to finalize our agreements with the distribution houses uh, for the big manufacturers, Marvel, DC, Image, things like that. So we're starting with indies and then working our way into the majors within the next couple months. But our e-commerce store will launch in August. So the T-shirt fundraiser that we're doing right now is we're just trying to get a little bit of funds to help us finalize the last bits of the e-commerce site. And then we're going to launch a a much bigger, more foundational fundraiser in October. And that will be to kind of help us with a little bit of the startup costs um, while we wait for some of these grants and things that we're applying for to come through. So it's a pretty big deal it is a life-changing deal. And hopefully something that within the next six months to a year, I will find myself actually physically being able to do instead of having to work for other people, um, which has been a dream of mine forever. And I'm so, so, so excited to be finally able to tell people about this and to actually be doing this with a partner who shares my passion. Uh, So if you want to support I know I have a very supportive community and you come through for me a lot, and it probably seems like I'm always asking for, for donations to some charity or some aspect of Militantly Mixed. Um, in this case, this is uh, another form of that. It's representation in spaces that we're not usually present in, uh, in the world of comics. Gulf Coast is not going to be just a comic book store. It is actually, we are partnering with uh, a few elementary schools in the Houston area for a, a literacy program through comics, reading through comics. We are also going to be having some STEAM-focused programming as well, which will allow us to pair various comic entities with different STEAM exercises so that people can actually build up their interest in mechanics and science and engineering and all kinds of things, robotics. It is... I mean, it's just something that I've always, always wanted to do and just didn't know that it was going to be possible until I had the right partner to do it with. So um, you'll hear more about it over the next few months because we are building up towards our physical open next year. But for now, it is going to start out as an e-commerce site and um, some YouTube programming and things like that so that you can actually see the work that we're doing with the uh, literacy and STEAM programs. So. I'm going to share some of those links on the show notes for y'all if y'all are interested in learning more about it. Also, if you are in that community, Third Ward of Houston, then hopefully I'll actually get to see you there one day. (sighs) So that is all the things that I've been going, that I've been working on or doing during this so-called hiatus. And I am now and coming back with the podcast, I'm going to have to figure out a little bit more balance to my life because, um, If things were stressful before, they're definitely going to be stressful now that I'm running simultaneous businesses. Uh, To be fair, the mask thing will go away eventually. Uh, Right now, with being still pretty hot and heavy in the world of COVID and things like that, um, I'm going to keep that mission going for a while because it is also the way I'm processing my fear. Honestly, it's it's how I'm, I'm channeling my energy into uh, into making the mask, but it'll eventually go away because it'll have to because I'll need to focus on the main business. Additionally, uh, Gulf Coast will be able to roll in some of our uh, productions. Uh, my partner, Byron, he actually is in video and multimedia production. I am doing the podcast production. Uh, so we are going to have a space that will allow us to do all of those things together. So we got a lot to do, but we're going to do it and it's going to be amazing. And I'm really excited about it. All right. Have I told you everything from July? I probably haven't, but um, but that is where it is. I don't want this intro to go too, too long. Uh, but I do want to do some shout outs because it has been a month since I've been on and there's been some Patreon sponsors that have joined since the last time I made a announcement. Uh, I do want to shout out Macy and Katrina, and I'm hoping I pronounce your name right. But if I don't, send me an email with the pronunciation key, and I will uh, correct it. Uh, Saida and uh, I just want to shout them out and thank them for contributing to the Patreon sponsorship. In addition to everybody who has been contributing all along, we've managed to stay above the breaking point from for production. This whole time, even as some people have had to put it on pause, um, other new people have joined in. And I just want to thank the community so much for that, because without your support, I really am not able to keep this going as much as I'll never stop trying your your support, your financial support actually really, really is the difference between my ability to get an episode up and um, and keep things going there. there growing costs now that I've been doing it for so long and and that the audience is getting bigger that will only continue to grow as we grow. I have very, very high hopes for what this next year is going to look like. It looks like we have a lot of new listeners. The downloads have stayed high, even though we've been on hiatus for the last month. And, uh, And we also get new participants in the social distancing hangout every week. So now's the time. In terms of our mixed race advocacy, And making sure that we are taking care of our community, providing resources and or finding resources, linking people to resources for support now seems to be the time more than ever before that things are going to be available to us. And I want to be a part of that story. I want to be a part of that work. So your contributions are the reason why I am able to keep that up. And I appreciate y'all so, so much. All right. I hope y'all been doing good over this last month. I, I have actually still stayed in contact with a, a lot of folks. Uh, for the most part, I've been a part of every social distancing hangout, except for this most recent one last Sunday, the 26th of July, because I, I, t- I did take at least that weekend to, to shut off. Shout out to Lorelai who stepped in to moderate the panel for me while I was out. Now to get to today's episode. Wow. I feel so out of practice. Um, this uh this month off is, has been kind of wild. Um, my guest this week is Penelope. She's a long-standing member of the militantly mixed community. Uh, she's also a regular in the social distancing hangout. Uh, so I feel like we've gotten to know each other pretty decently over the last few months, uh, especially with the participation in the in the hangouts. Uh, she's actually someone that I recorded with back in May before everything started to go before I ended up pausing the regular episodes to do more activism episodes during the month of June. And I had talked to her about it beforehand and I, I told her what I was thinking uh, that I needed to pause and everything. And she she also agreed that it, it seemed more like the time to focus on what was going on in the world. And she was willing to, to sit on her episode until we we felt ready to come back to regular episodes. And then I went on my hiatus when I started to edit her episode. And, you know, if had I edited it back in in May, this wouldn't have been the case, but I started to edit it for this week's episode and, um, the file ended up becoming corrupted while I was working on it. and I had to restore. And when I restored, it didn't come back. So I was really upset. And I reached out to her to let her know what was happening. I asked her if she'd be available and willing and if she had the spoons basically to, to do it with me again. And she she did, which was amazing because it wasn't how she was expecting to, to do her Saturday. Um, but she was willing and gully to come on and talk with me again. And honestly, I think we had a really good conversation uh, today that I am so uh, and it's kind of strange. I am sad that what we had before was corrupted and I couldn't use. But the conversation we had today was so good that I'm glad that I had the opportunity to have the conversation that I had with her today. So, you know, I mean, I'm trying to find ways of being more positive And I guess that that's my attempt at being more positive. But I just I just want to say that I'm so grateful to Penelope for having the Spoons to do that with me today, despite not knowing that this was going to happen, that we had such a good conversation. And I feel that every time we talk, we get a little bit closer and I'm just really appreciative of her as a person and as a member of this community. So I do hope that you all enjoy this episode as much as I do. And um, yeah, without further ado, (laughs) Please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Mix family, Penelope. I was on hiatus. My guest this week is actually someone I recorded with before, I guess, all the civil unrest started. And um, so we were kind of putting a button on it while I was going through my Black Lives Matter episodes. And and coming back, it was the episode I wanted to start back after hiatus on. <sighs> but then it got corrupted. I was partway through the edit and my computer had issues and I had to uh, reformat my computer and bring it back and I lost the files. So Penelope has been gracious enough to come back with me with very little warning (laughs) that we were going to do this again. So I'm really appreciative to invite back Penelope. Welcome Penelope. Thank you. Thanks for coming back. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and let everybody know who we are talking to?
1: Yes, uh, I'm Penelope. My mother is Chinese American. My father is uh, from Trinidad. He was born and raised there, and then he came to the States as an adult. And um, I guess that's all I could really say from an ethnic <laughs> Lineage. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, how did you grow up then? Um, I grew up on the East Coast, and uh, I had I have two brothers. I'm the middle child. I'm the only daughter. And um, I grew up in a suburban area. It wasn't too diverse back then, but now it's much more diverse. Uh, there were hardly any mixed kids there. I don't think there are any mixed kids in my neighborhood. But in my school, there were about three or four. Mm. And was that a mostly
0: white environment or mostly black or how was it?
1: I would say mostly white. There were maybe like 40 or 50 black people in the entire school. I'd say maybe more than that. But Mm. the high school class was like a thousand per grade. So it was a very large school. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's huge.
0: (laughs) So, okay. So you're the middle child, grew up in almost entirely uh, a white space with a little bit of blackness. No, no Chinese or other Asians? Um,
1: There were Chinese people there. Um, One of my mom's friends uh, was half white, half Chinese. And Mm -hmm. she, uh, her mother was a military bride. So I don't know if the a war bride or whatever like that's called. Um, and then she war was married bride is... to a Taiwanese guy. Okay. Yeah, war bride. Yep. So she was married to a Taiwanese guy and then they had two daughters. And then there was a Chinese girl in my high school, but Asians tend to stay away from me. They're very much into being more white.
0: Hmm. So that, yeah, that's actually a, a whole part of Asian life that uh, here in the States that um, we probably need to address a lot more than, than we do. Uh, you told me, so just for a little background as to why I, I know you better than some of my other guests is that you and I have been in contact for a while and you also have come to the social distancing hangout. So, um, so this is not like the first time we're talking or even the second time we're talking. So I I know a little bit more about you than I do some of my other guests. And you do talk about how you are sort of coded more as Black or maybe at least ambiguously non-Asian or something or different Asian than you are. How
1: do you feel like
0: you maneuver?
1: How do I, for myself, like how do I identify myself? Yeah, how do yes, you feel? Yes, this is a, a, a really interesting question because yesterday evening, actually, I had somebody ask me this question. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and uh, it was an, a person of East Indian descent, and I have had East Indian people ask me. Um, she was very polite about it, and she was just like, Oh, I don't want to be rude, I'm just curious, like, are you black? Because I do get that, are you black? You maybe can be black, but I'm not so sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I feel like now, uh, with my experiences, um, I I'm getting those questions more and more. Maybe it's because I'm more on the Western part of the United States. Mm. I don't think I look that different. I really think it depends on the environment. But after like thinking about that, you know, several months ago when I first moved here into the Western part of the United States, I went to a Thai antique shop and the woman was Thai and she was like, Where are you from? You look Asian. Oh. What part of Asia, you know, so um, I get both. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's been more validating for me. If I could go back to when I was growing up, I wouldn't think I I couldn't dream of having any of those experiences with people asking me these types of questions at oh, really? all. really? Yeah, because I mean, like, I felt like... Like my parents told me, oh, yeah, people would just identify us as, oh, those are those mixed kids. But I felt like no one ever actually told me, oh, you're a mixed. Like they, Mm. I just always felt like I was non-white.
0: That's interesting, because to me, like when I when I look at you, I see a, a black Asian. Like I don't necessarily know just from looking at you what kind of Asian uh, I think mm-hmm. whenever we get mixed, it gets really hard to tell us apart, you know, in the mm-hmm. way that monoracial, it's a easier to tell the monoracial Asians apart. But I see someone who, sh- who shows me both a black woman and an Asian woman. Like I see it when I see your face. Um, and just side note, your skin is fucking flawless. I just wanted oh. to say that like, you're, <laughs> you're like, you look so good <laughs> with those oh. bones and everything. Uh, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, so like, I'm surprised, I guess, because I grew up on the West Coast, I'm used to people thinking I'm at least Filipino, because there's something about me that kind of says I'm Asian, but definitely not, you know, like, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, like, but you, I definitely see it. So it's interesting that you would go through the East Coast. And it not. I, I guess I didn't know that the East Coast wasn't really a place where they would kind of ask that thing. So we've talked before a little bit about about your your Chinese heritage and um, it, but that you still sort of kind of had to identify more black because that's how you were kind of more received. Now that you're on the West coast, are you feeling Asian sometimes?
1: Well like with I, I think so because the like I told you with the experience with the Thai lady, I was getting that even. When I, um, I studied abroad in Singapore and everyone just thought I was Malaysian and that was really interesting. Right. I had my hair straightened though at that time.
0: But you are a um, darker skinned Asian, like you look, Yeah. so like I can see if you're in Asia that they would just receive you as Asian and they would just yeah. think you are one of the darker skinned, you know, fill in the blank country type of thing.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, interesting experience, and I, I think, um, well, like on the East Coast, people will just assume more. Like they'll just speak to me in Spanish, or they'll say, "Oh, you speak Spanish." Or if they learn my name, then they'll say, "Like, is it Penelope?" Like you know, the Spanish. Oh, they're thing. trying to say Penelope? with an accent, yeah. So I thought, yeah, I feel like people kind of will ask questions. To, try to figure out, but they're not actually asking directly because they don't want to come across as rude.
0: I see. And how do you feel about the direct question, the what are you question?
1: Um, I'm taken aback because I don't get it asked too often. So mm-hmm. I feel like people would just ask the roundabout way, mm-hmm. <laughs> more so to me. Um, and I feel like the times that people have asked me, it's been more... At a curiosity, and then it strikes the conversation. And I haven't had people say, "What are you like?" Maybe very few times in a an angry way. Mm. I think for me, people kind of say, "Oh, she's she's part black. That's enough for me." You know, mm. she's uh, she's. I don't need to know anything else. I think that's mm. how I I kind of. I think that's why people don't really ask too much. Mm. So what about
0: the difference between being a black American and being a trini yeah, American? Yeah. So
1: my uh father, he it's interesting because he's he didn't grow up Baptist or anything like that and I feel like that's a very black American identification. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of the things that I saw with my dad and his his siblings that it, it wasn't something that could connect with Black American culture. So they like a lot of Bollywood movies because there's a lot of Indian people in Trinidad. Right. Oh, actually, I was going to ask you if you get coded yeah. as, as
0: South Asian too sometimes, Indian. Yeah I,
1: have been, yeah, I have been told that before, which is interesting too. Um, my, one of my aunts who I saw a picture of her, she showed me a picture of her when she was like really young. Um, and I looked like her <laughs> when I was that age, so that's kind of crazy, and, mm-hmm. but she's coded as Indian, actually. Oh, like, really? Indian people go up to her, and they're like, oh, sister, and they get all happy, oh, really? so <laughs> and she's like, actually, I'm not, uh, I am from Trinidad, and I know there's a lot of Indian people there, but I'm not East Indian. It's kind of funny. That's funny. <laughs> um, but so, like, they like a lot of Indian movies, and They eat Indian food because Trini food, you know, like roadie and stuff like that. And they're very laid back. And my dad's family, they were raised Catholic. Um, He went to Catholic school. Uh, And he told me that in Trinidad, the two big churches were the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. So in uh, certain ways, I feel like I could understand, like, working ca- class catholic people in some ways because okay. of that exposure that i had with my dad and um he used to he used to give me these weird quizzes like he'd say say psalm 23 now you need to learn these psalms you need to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um he used to always say like um jesus mary and joseph and mm-hmm. i was like oh that must be a trinity thing but then like my uh, my mother-in-law, she, I heard her say that. And I was like, whoa. So then, because um, my husband's family is Catholic. So I mm. saw a lot of connections there. So I feel like when I meet other people, I'm like, well, I see all these connections. But I don't see it so much from the Black American perspective. Okay. Um, and then even like the Commonwealth thing with Indian. India was a, a British colony. And I feel like that there are similarities with India and Trinidad. Um, so yeah, and then there's also I, my father. Interestingly enough, when uh, he mentioned to me fairly recently that when he first came to this country, people would go up to him asking him what he was. Mm. So that was very interesting. He just said that people have come up to him. They say, where are you from? What are you? I don't understand why you from talk that way. Him, he, from the, oh, say, the accent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The accent. But also he looks very Dominican. Um, oh, okay. People come up to him all the time and they just start speaking in Spanish. And then it's just like, okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I feel like almost all mixed people
0: just need to learn Spanish because they really think yes. no matter what we are, we're all Spanish. We're yep.
1: all, we're all yep. Dominican. <laughs> yeah. And then my mother, she's asked um, by other Asians, even by other Chinese people, what she is. Um, which and is and she's full Chinese, but she was born here, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but she said that her father was adopted and he's actually like Mongolian descent. Uh, I don't know how okay. that happens. So, but I mean, I have seen Southern Chinese people that look like her, but mm. uh, a lot of people assume she's Filipino.
0: Okay.
1: Um,
0: did you grow up as a kid? Did you go back, go grow up visiting China and
1: visiting um, Trinidad? I never visited Trinidad. I wanted to visit Trinidad when I was a kid. Um, when my grandfather died there, uh, my dad didn't bring us. My mom was very upset. She was just like, oh, I wish that he could have brought you so you could see. And now it's kind of dangerous there. So I'm just like, I think it's kind of out of the picture. I would like to um, visit for the carnival because they're, they're like world renowned mm-hmm. for their carnival. Um, for China, I was supposed to go to China initially when I was six years old. Um, because I had uh, I had to go to Chinese language school, and my first year was Cantonese. And then after that, my mom was like, okay, I think Mandarin would be more practical. So she had us do Mandarin after that. And my Chinese teacher felt like I had a lot of natural ability. And so mm. she wanted to bring me to China, um, but then my father didn't want that. I looked really chinese very I, I don't I lost my picture. I'd have to go and ask my mom for it, but there's one picture mm. when I was six years old. I looked very, very Chinese. I brought it to show my students when I was a teacher, and they were like, You look Chinese like I look very, very <laughs> Chinese. It's pretty crazy, but mm. our facial features change and stuff and uh but and then uh, as I got older, I always liked Chinese language. <laughs> Um, I felt like that was my way of connecting and we had to go to Chinese Chinatown in New York City. Um, And I'd always hear Cantonese and I always saw they had the, you know, they were playing their Cantonese music in the restaurants and Um, In a lot of ways, I feel more comfortable with Cantonese culture. we go do um, yum cha, which is basically like, you have tea, you have dim sum. Dim sum is just like appetizers. You have that in the afternoon, you get together. Uh, Many times, Chinese Americans do that on the weekends too. So you go into Chinatown, go to the grocery store, do yum cha, Um, and that was just the way of connecting. I eventually ended up going to China when I was 17. I went as a a study abroad student. And uh, I ended up uh, getting there later than what I was supposed to. And uh, I was the only, there were four of us all together. Uh, Three of the exchange students were in southern China. I believe they they were, yeah, they were all in... uh, Guangdong Province, and I was the only one up in the northern part of China and Shanghai. Oh, so you didn't even get to necessarily connect
0: with your direct part of China's culture?
1: Right, I didn't. I went, mm-hmm. uh, I know that I met the three other exchange students, they were all German, but we didn't go, I didn't meet them in Guangdong Province. Yeah, so I was like, really disappointed because if you I know. had my pick, then I could have gone to Guangdong Province, which is the province where my family is from. And it would have been much more natural for me because I'd already had known the customs more. Right, so. right. So that was disappointing. But I did learn a lot about the education system. There and edu- I don't, I feel like a lot of people don't understand how behind education in the states is. It's just really, really, really not good. Um, I felt like the education in China was a lot more methodical, mm-hmm. uh, building things, you're just building on very excellent basics. Um, when you go to like, you could go to uh, what would you call it, like a store where they just sell office supplies and you would see books, little mini books. They called them handbooks. I think that's what you would say in English. But um, they provided a lot of extra help. There was a lot of supplementary materials to help with education there. We had Mm. morning exercises. um, And you'd be at the school for like 12 hours. Really? Yeah, it was intense. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> it was insane. I mean, was like like you, you I mean like you would finish I guess at like 3 or 4 o'clock but then you'd stay extra to just study, you could ask questions to the teacher. Oh okay. You could go there early. I think I'm pretty sure the morning exercises started around 8 in the morning. In my school that I went to it was an all-girls school, it was very traditional. We had to walk up to the gate bow there would be teachers lined up, and you'd have to just, like, say in Chinese, um, you know, good morning, teacher, and then keep walking. Anytime you see a teacher, you have to acknowledge them and say hi. It's, like, part of the Confucian culture. Mm-hmm. Every time we'd start a class, we'd have to all stand up, and we'd have to bow to the teacher and say, you know, hao and then we'd have to sit down, and the teacher would say, you know, like, students hello or whatever. And then at at the end, you'd say goodbye to the teacher and then the teacher would bow back. This was a very, very traditional school though. You Mm -hmm. probably see that more so in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was studying Chinese in the States and we had the Chinese books, they actually showed that in the Chinese books. So it was just like so surreal to actually do that when I ended up going there. Yeah.
0: So it was kind of cool. Despite you culture. not being in your area, in the area that your family originated from, did you still feel like you got to connect and feel Chinese sometimes? Like, were you, How aware of your mixedness were you when you were in China?
1: Uh, I feel like, um, so I felt very aware of it. And I felt like um, my mother, she always kind of tried to stifle my mixedness. Um, There were, and now that I know more stuff, like I feel like my mom's family didn't really, I don't want to say everything because this is being recorded. I I could tell you like, (laughs) yeah, but it was just, um, there's certain things in the culture that are not talked about and it's more so by action and then you know, how you're being perceived and there was like kind of a message that it wasn't welcomed. My father wasn't very welcomed in the family. Yeah. So I felt like after experiencing there, I have a sense of, especially reflecting back when I was actually there, I was like, what's going on? Why can't I be my own person? But it's more like your existence is connected to other people. You don't just exist. It's, it's very hard for me to articulate it, but. No, I like, think that makes sense. Yeah, it's, like it's in, about it's, the Western, greater community versus yeah, the
0: individual experience.
1: Yeah, it's more other focus than self focus. So, right. whatever I do, I also have to think about how does this affect everybody else. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think, think that, that crosses like, all Asians
0: because we got that too in the Japanese yes. side. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And that's a way of keeping people in line um, to just kind of, I, I think like in Western interpretation, it's like, why does everybody have to be the same? But when I was there, it was kind of like, well this is the, uh, a good way for us to all identify and this is what we do. And it's kind of like that nationalistic pride that a lot of Chinese people have. And um, mm-hmm. I was reading more about Chinese American culture and the Chinese that came from China here in the 1800s and 1900s. And I saw that in that too. And when I read that, I was like, Oh, it's like, makes more sense. Um, but the face culture, that's inescapable. You can't escape it if you're in China. And I've always felt a certain way because um, that really kind of messed up my self-esteem, my self-worth. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like that there's that Japanese saying, like, if you're the nail up, you have to be hammered down kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so there's this conflict where if you're mixed with Chinese and if you're mixed where you're darker complexion, especially in the north, because there's a thing like, if you watch Hong Kong TV, the dramas, people are like my complexion. But if you watch Northern Chinese TV, the people are very pale. I don't know if they put skin whitener on. So I think that there was also that dynamic.
0: Right.
1: And feeling that I'm never enough, I'll never measure up. That's, you're in a no-win situation because image is so important. Right. Do you have so a I, version of that with the with the Trini side? Like, are you ever around
0: other Trini people so that you get a sense of whether or not you would be
1: welcome? um, I have been around other Trini people that weren't my family. Um, There was a, I had a good friend who was Trini and he introduced me to his sister. um, And he's like, oh, you're just like, you're just, you look like just like people from my family. So that was validating. But he never really validated the fact that I was like, I had a Chinese parent. Right, I think that's the distinction there. So, yeah, we're all mixed, but you're not really, you don't really have a Chinese parent. I have a Chinese grandmother, so we're the same. That's how he was seeing it. But I have had other Trini people. I think he's the only Trini person, actually, that said that to me. All the other Trini people validated me and said, oh, yeah, you have a Chinese parent. I could tell right away after meeting me so he was right. the piece the outlier oh, I've always felt welcomed I never felt like they were judging me they never said oh you're not Trini enough it wasn't anything like that it was just like um the national identity of Trini Trinidadians is everybody's Trini that's how I see it I feel like
0: almost every other country but the United States is that way like, yeah, th- you are the nation. Japanese, you are Japanese. France, England, even like even where there are white people, you are the country. Here, our version of that is to be American, you have to be this particular type of American. And if you don't fit that mold, then where are you from? where are you really from? That kind of stuff, which is so toxic in terms of like trying to get us to feel like, you know, how are we a foreigner in our own home? where like, we're, we're generationally from here. (laughs) Um, you know, I think, I think we all struggle with that. So you talked about, uh, and we've talked about this several times in our group and offline and everything like that about how, well, I guess, yeah, we all talk about this as a community as mixed people, our self-esteem does seem to be impacted by whether or not we are received by other people and whether or not we're welcomed. And there are ways in which I know in my case, if I'm welcomed by Black folks and embraced as a Black person, I don't necessarily feel erased in terms of my Japanese-ness or, or my half-white. I never feel erased if no one acknowledges that I'm half, that I'm part white. Like, that's fine. I, I don't need it. Um, but I do sometimes need to be validated in my japanese and I do sometimes need to be validated in my Blackness. So if Black people just accept me as Black, totally fine. I've never been accepted by Japanese folks as a Japanese person. I've been accepted as an American, mm-hmm. which is weird because in America, I might not necessarily be accepted as an American. But if, an, if in a Japanese environment, I am accepted as an American. Um, it, it, it's So I don't have the same experience between one side or the other. In your case, you're embraced as a Trini with Trini folks, with Chinese you're acknowledged as other? Yeah. So, I feel like it
1: it's depends on the Chinese person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. And it depends on where in China. So, okay. Um I visited China multiple times and when I was in southern China, people were addressing me um in like in Cantonese and they were saying sister. When I was in northern China, there were people that were addressing me in that kinship term um but then again, when I was in southern China, that was when my hair was straightened. When I was in northern China, people would address me with the kinship term if my hair is covered. And I've had that in Chinatown, too. Oh. So my hair is a, very much an indicator. I have asked right. like white people. I'm like, um, how do you know I'm black? And then they say right away, they always say my hair. Right that's I mean, the thing that really sticks out. It does stick out. You have a lot of it and it's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> the texture that
0: is, you know, not like Chinese texture yeah. or whatever. If they're quoting right. you more Chinese than than black, but um it's it, it's really interesting. And I I haven't dealt, like I, every time I try to get more into my Asianness something blocks me and I, me I I just feel like it's safer in the black side. Like it's just safer in the black side and I and I have to go sit where I'm most comfortable. And even me who tries to explore all aspects and, and like, you know, love my mixed ass. So if I'm confronted by a sea of Japanese faces, I'm just like, I am not like you, you know, like, I just Mm -hmm. don't feel enough like them. And I want to sometimes I definitely want to, I know that there's aspects of the culture that speaks very heavily to me um, but there's just something in particular about Asian-ness. And I think it crosses, it's not just a Japanese thing. I think it ne- it definitely crosses where there there is this block when we're not like everybody else. Like those countries are so homogenous yeah. in a way that even as they are now experiencing more immigration from other places, they still manage to maintain. I mean, look at Chinese. You go to America, you could go to any American city and there is a gate. There is a Chinatown. There is a place where Chinese can be Chinese and almost not speak English. If they don't have to, Mm. they can live their entire, uh, like all their commerce can be, you know, Chinese and everything like that. And, um, no other culture really has that as hardcore as, as the Chinese do. So it's so weird. Like, how do you penetrate it? Like, how do you penetrate it enough as a mixed Chinese to feel like you just get to be Chinese today if you wanted to?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the first thing would be to master the language. So like I could speak Chinese. I I went to a Chinese restaurant a few weeks ago to get takeout. And yeah, I used the Chinese term and the guy didn't really look surprised. But when he was asking me like for things, he's like, do you want chopsticks? There's like subtle, very subtle things. Right, right. Like, you know, I, I remember when I'd go to Chinatown, they'd always give me and my older brother like forks and then and my dad a fork and then like my younger brother who looks much more much more Asian and my mother would get chopsticks so there's these very small things there's very small nuances <laughs> some shade <laughs> yeah because yeah. Japanese it's, do that too <laughs> it's I I never like you know like part of it it could be that they're just trying to accommodate so like if they see somebody who their face is not very Asian. So then they'll try to speak in English. You know, um, I used to feel very offended, but then when I started framing it that way, then it kind of helped me more. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not fully Asian and I don't look fully Asian and that's okay. And I'm coming into their space and they're very much in group, out group membership. When when I speak Chinese, they kind of just, you know, light up. They really, they really respect somebody who, especially because my mom was born here. And then I know Chinese, I could read, it, I could write it, I could speak it. They, they, a lot of times are like, oh, they like are like my biggest cheerleader after that. They're like, yo man, I'll help okay. you. <laughs> <Everything>. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> yeah. So, so in that way, I feel like a, a very strong connection. Um, and I've also noticed too, that. A lot of times they will think that my father is Chinese because I speak Chinese, and then I've been told that a lot of times uh, the Chinese mothers drop the ball in terms of teaching their children the Chinese language oh, really? That, I mean like that uh, yeah, so I, I've been to places where um, I'm getting something and I'm speaking to the, the cashier in Chinese, and then like I remember distinctly this particular moment and then the guy was looking for my surname like he was just like why like is your father the chinese one kind of thing um because it's a very patrilineal culture they have those um you know each each plan each surname group you you can go to and uh like if it's lee or something like that if that's your last name you can go to the Lee Association and they have them in Chinatown. And part of me too, has always had to grapple with that sense of loss and grief. Um, Mm. It's very hard for me because I feel like in a lot of ways, um, I have had um, a Chinese American experience and a lot of Chinese people and Asian people would tell me that I have certain mannerisms that are very Asian and I, I even, uh, knew this girl. She was from Taiwan and everyone would always say that we have similar personalities. And then I started thinking, yeah, we do kind of have similar personalities. Funny. Just so funny. But, um, yes, yeah, so like in a lot of ways, there's that sense of loss where it's like you feel so comfortable. But then at the same time, it's like, I feel like I personally, like you said that, um, if black people fully accept you and embrace you and acknowledge your existence, right. Then mm-hmm. you don't feel any erasure, but I always would feel like a sense of erasure when Chinese people would embrace me. Oh, um, when I was in France, uh, a lot of the other international students were Chinese when we speak in Chinese and stuff like that. And they started, like they expected all these things of me because I knew the language. They're like, every Chinese woman knows these things. And I was, like, I was kind of yeah, feeling I like, like that. getting frustrated with myself because it's like, now you're putting so much expectations on me and I'm getting all this pr- pressure, although the pressure I'm allowing it to get to me, right? I sure. think some of the, yeah, but it's just, it's difficult because I always feel like either some people think I'm just a complete foreigner. Like one point I was and when I was in China, I was talking to somebody in Chinese and then they asked, oh, how, how do you speak Chinese? I said, oh, my mother's Chinese. And then this like random other Chinese guy walks by and he was like, <laughs> she's not Chinese. Her mother's not Chinese. Like in English, though, it was very bizarre. Okay. Then, yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> then, God. It was like, what the heck? And then... um, and then the, the person I was talking to was like, do you know that person? Like, because they were saying <laughs> right? it so, like Matter declaring that it was yeah. a fact. Wow! And um, I was like, I have no, no idea who that is. <laughs> That's um, so, so wild. Yeah, so I've had these experiences that were all across the board. Um, when I was in Singapore, besides Malaysians, some people thought I was Hakka, which is a type of Chinese ethnicity. Mm-hmm. They're very much like, some people call them the Jews of China. So they, they go and they um, migrate to different places, different okay. countries, okay. and then they open businesses. Okay. And my mother's surname actually is a Hakka surname. So I've had people ask, Oh, are you Hakka? I don't think I am. You just I think- had somebody speaking to me in Hakka. I just responded back in Mandarin. I understood it. Hmm. But it's just these types of things. It's, I could understand how Chinese people feel because I've had some of their experiences right it's
0: interesting so you said um that bit about that loss and the grief that comes along with the loss of like not being able to embrace especially not having a surname that comes from a specific place and I think cultures man cultures really mess us up because we can come from cultures that do this differently right like you can come from a culture where you're you get to claim the ethnicity if you are if your father is or if your mother is i mean even here in the united states as as being a black person it used to be through the mother because they didn't want the children of slave owners to be able to claim whiteness so they they said you had if your you know mother was black you were black basically and then over time that just became the one drop rule if you're if you got one drop of black you're black whereas like you know for jewish people it's if your mother is jewish you get to be jewish for Nigerians, it's if your father is and Jamaicans, I think it's if your mother is like, like all across the world, we claim it based off of a different parentage. And well, fuck, what if you're mixed with people who claim it across the board, and you just don't yeah. get to own it? Like, how do I not, How do I get to claim all this? And the, the what, what you said that really hit me was the grief, because I do think that is a very real thing where you're just especially as a mixed person, it's almost like mourning the loss not necessarily mono ethnicity but like full ownership mm-hmm. of something and because we're mixed with so many different things we feel like we don't have permission to own it in so much that we would want to and i'm trying to break that i mean even even through the show as i've come to start saying the be your mixed ass self like even for me i still have to work on that where was just like no this is part of me, I get to claim this, regardless of what other people says. But then, you know, that idea of, well, who are you to claim it as yeah. a mixed person? And so I feel like the responsibility to the mixed community is to at least provide a space where we're not erasing each other, whatever we are. And at least we have one place we can go where we don't experience that. How do you deal with the great? How do
1: you work? through
0: it for you
1: yeah this is a great question um so i feel like a lot of it i had to just accept things as they are Mm -hmm. and feel comfort in that discomfort um I, i feel like you know my mother since she was born in the states she had a lot of grief for herself because um, a lot of Chinese, they came to the States, but they wanted to go back to China. And my grandfather mm. had that grief. My grandmother had that grief. And
0: so the I idea had, being that you're coming here maybe just to earn some money for a period of time and then go back? Okay.
1: Yeah, it was like temporary. So, okay. um, you know, because they love China so much and, and the, the people there and everything about it means it, it's so close to their heart. And they have to be in a new land because when my grandparents left, it was, it was awful. They, there was the war, they saw people dying. Um, my, my grandfather actually knew Japanese because of the occupation of the Japanese in China. Um, and he actually was like one of the translators in world war two. Um, but Mm. there is that grief. And then when, then when you come to the United States, you want your children to love China. You want them to be proud of who they are and their ancestry and everything about the culture. And when you see your children struggling and you can't do anything about it, I mean, like they were bullied every day. The Mm -hmm. people in the neighborhood would deface their property. They had a laundry business and people would write, you know, chinks get go home stuff like this graffiti they leave dead animals on their doorstep awful things goodness and you know it's it's just the the story the story of my grandparents I think was so heartbreaking even for my aunts and uncle it was so heartbreaking for me so I feel like you know for my mom I think that part of it is that she wishes that she didn't want to assimilate so much because yeah. her parents would speak to her in Toysanese and then she would just speak back in, in English because you start to think you're bad. You're so, there's something wrong with you if people are constantly kicking the back of your chair and bullying you. And right. you're the only person in the 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 town that looks like you besides your siblings. So there's that grief. My grief is different. My grief is that, you know, I'm not i I'm not wholly, only Chinese and I feel like I've had a lot of experiences that were very Chinese, but then how can a person communicate that? It's kind of like, okay, you know, um, Black American people, they'll see another Black person, they say brother, sister, they'll do the head nod. There's Mm -hmm. that Mm acknowledgement. It's that lack of acknowledgement when you know so much about the culture and you have this intimate understanding of the culture. Now I'm not saying I have a fully intimate understanding, like somebody that was born and raised in China, but I'm saying that I do feel like I should give myself enough credit that I do have somewhat of a Chinese American experience. And it's kind of like seeing everybody with their families and you so want to partake in those traditions and those customs, but You'll be left out. Like even mm-hmm. when I was in France with the Chinese people there, they wouldn't invite me to the Chinese New Year. And then my classmates were like, why aren't they inviting you? I'm like, I have no idea. Uh. So there's always that, that thin veil of, well, we respect you, but there's never going to be enough for you to be enough. And then that's yeah. where that stems, those feelings of inadequacy. Right. And then coming to terms with, well, it's completely outside of my control. I worked so hard to try to prove even to the black American community community. I started feeling guilt. Like I, they actually I think a lot of times they would kind of guilt me. They would say, Oh, you're you're a lighter complexion, so you need to help the community or you lived in the suburbs, come back and help the community. And I try to like do that use, your, use your use really your sick.
0: Yeah. It was bad. And that's a, that's a heavy responsibility to, for others to put on us. I think if we do it to ourselves, that's one thing. I still think it's a heavy responsibility if we do it to ourselves, but when it comes from the outside of us, um, that's a, that's a heavy burden. Cause it's like, we were just born, we could have been born looking any kind of way. Like you and yes. I have both sent each other pictures of our brothers and yeah. we see like how different we look from our brothers that we don't even look like we're necessarily the same ethnic groups yeah um, but we're full siblings and yes the role of the genetic dice is so random we could be anything you know and really it is just about what culture we either had access to or what culture we attached to more based off of that alone my brother and i come from totally different groups even though we grew up in the same household with the same people and the same ethnic mixes i am black and he chose a different path. Like, you know, I'm not trying to tell his story because that's his story to tell. But like, I'm black. He's not. We're siblings, full ass siblings. <laughs> so it's just, oh gosh, it's like it pains me to think that there's so there's so much outside of our control as mixed people in terms of how we're seen, how we're accepted, and what responsibilities are put on us as mixed people. I do it to myself too. I mean, I've even been on a TV show saying it's our responsibility as lighter skin, you know, mixed black folks to, you know, be aware of our the effect we have in a room of monoracial black people. I do believe that, and yet at the same time, I don't want to have to feel that way. I don't want to have to be like, I'm sorry that my ancestry is such that it's obvious and it reminds you of slavery and it's you know things like that. Like, I I hate that I feel that way, and yet. It's because of the way I'm treated throughout a lot of the spaces that I end up feeling that way and feel like preemptively apologetic, even as when I'm with my mixed folks, I'm like preaching the word of unapologetic mixedness and stuff like that. And every now and then it hits me and it really messes me up, especially the more that I do militantly mixed, the more it messes me up when I feel apologetic, because I'm just like, I can't tell everybody to 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 be their mixed ass selves and then have this moment of like, am I black enough for this space? You know, Yeah. but it's a constant, it's a constant and it's so easy for one person's comment to knock us off our, off our path. Like I think the idea of that guy walking past you that wasn't even involved in the conversation to just insert, like that could have wrecked me. Like how hurtful that must have been. Um, And, and fucking how dare him too. the, that's
1: the other part. I'll die. A lot of entitlement there, right? Like, <laughs> that and that's the part. other part
0: about like monoracialness versus mixedness is that you know what makes us have less access. You know, like in terms of ingredients, you need a whole bunch of things to make a meal, to make a thing. We are kind of a version of that, right? We are a bunch of different ethnicities that have made who we are. So, everything is flavoring our experience. Everything is informing. The person that we are walking around being. So why do I have less access? Why do you have less access? Why can't you claim it as much as the next person? Why can't I claim it as much as the next person?
1: Fucking sucks and it's hard. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so hard. (laughs) I wasn't, you know, like I was. I've had that experience happen, and then I also had uh, another experience happen too, that's similar. Both experiences, I was unperturbed, surprisingly. Mm. The the first one with the guy that just said that stuff in China, um, I was kind of just like, oh, okay. That's his, that's his feelings. That's his opinion. But at the end of the day, you know, I can take a DNA test, us mixed people, we have mixed bone marrow. We have mm-hmm. to, that's the, that's the truth. Right. And, um, I think a lot of times people want to say something and they feel like that is the truth, but it isn't the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, Another time, uh, this is really, uh, I think like, what's it called? Serendipity? So maybe it's like, yeah, some sort of, it's just so random. So when I was in Singapore, this Chinese guy, I met him through other people I knew. And then I was speaking Chinese and then he was just like, oh, you speak Chinese very well but you can't be, possibly be Chinese. He tells mm. me that. Mm. But I was like so calm about it. I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Because I was in this space where I was like, whatever I said, he's not going to listen anyway. He already made up his mind. Right, right. So in that way, I just had some peace of mind. Chance happens, my mom comes <laughs> to visit me in Singapore. We're on the train. This same exact guy comes, he sees me. <laughs> I don't say anything. I'm all like, okay, whatever. My mom is, he sits next to us and my mom's like, hi, I'm Penelope's mother. Who are you? You're... He was so shocked. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that moment feels sweet to me. It's just like, yeah, man, so. yes, um, yes. I guess the other thing too, like to deal with the grief is I do a lot of meditating, letting go, accepting. I go to a local sangha. We vi- We meet through Zoom and we talk about, like very abstract things, like there really is no self. You could only find uh, the things that are not yourself. And even affiliations, like things are always changing. People use different groups to, I guess, identify with. But, you know, We talk about in the group that identification can cause suffering too, which is very interesting. Clinging to Mm -hmm. certain identifications. And then uh, the thing about it is that as a mixed person, it's difficult because if you're clinging to a certain identity, when you go to another country, like for example, when I was in France, I was considered mixed. That really affected my identity because I felt like, okay, now I don't have to be anything. I could just be myself. I don't have to prove my Chinese or my Trini or my, if people are imposing the black American, the black American side Mm -hmm. or whatever, I -hmm. could just be myself. And it was very freeing. And at that moment though, I also, like at the time I didn't know, I didn't, I knew about colorism, but I never felt that I benefited from it. And like I told you, there are all these other international students Mm and. I never was carded. All the other international students were carded by like the officials. They would ask everybody for their immigration papers. Oh, I was you, were, never you weren't carded once. as a foreigner. I was never carded as a foreigner ever. Oh, interesting. There was a, yeah, there was a lot of racism towards foreigners. Never carded. And as was like months, I'm like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> They're gonna get me. They never did. <laughs> They're gonna, <laughs> gonna get, get, get me. Like, it was kind of funny. Yeah, and I feel like you know that was part of the advantage of being mixed. So there are advantages and disadvantages to anything. Sure. Yeah. Um, people just thought, oh, I just thought you were French. I just thought you had a French parent. Whatever that means. I'm assuming maybe that means they think I have a white French parent. Again, you mentioned before the French national identity. It's more like what the Americans would want to strive for. Like you could be French, you could be Black, you could be Vietnamese, you could be, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean
0: that they don't have racism, but it does mean that at least even as you are a person of different colors, (laughs) they will still understand you as a French person
1: right they're not going yeah yeah they're not going around saying you're not French you're from some other place even though the people were there for generations like it's not like that there is a lot of racism there I saw you know African French people that were fluent in English and you know they have their PhDs and they can't get jobs because a lot of times at least at that time when I was there your CV your resume has you have to put a picture most of the time and they scan Mm -hmm. through it and they're just or they, they see your name as a certain type of depicting a certain ethnicity just like here you know yeah they I mean. kind of like up oh, toss yeah. I had an interview and uh, once the guy saw me I was like I didn't get it I didn't get it I didn't you get the job because can. yeah um and then the other thing too was um Like I was going to lounges and stuff to just hang out and dance with my friends. And there were African people that I knew and they were not allowed in. I didn't know that until they told me that. Yeah. So that's what I mean by I didn't know how I benefited. And people here would always say, you benefit. Like people will not bother you. Like I don't get pulled over by the police. Like I don't get that type of stuff. I still have been called N-word or whatever. But yeah. So those things have opened my eyes. The last thing about the grief uh, to help me too was like inner child work. So I've been doing a lot of parenting, um, creating that parent that I never really had that validated me because I feel like a lot of times we're kind of um, put in a situation where we're in an environment and we don't have the resources for people to validate who we truly are and searching for that authentic self and then accepting and giving myself permission to be that authentic self. And then, not allowing myself to be bogged down by other people's opinions. I think that's right. Really helps. Well,
0: that's awesome. I'm glad that you that you do work like that. I I haven't really thought about even in therapy, I haven't really thought about tackling the issues that I have necessarily with the kind of non-parents that I had. <laughs> Um, I mean, I have addressed a lot of things, but I still, I still harbor a lot of resentment um, where that's concerned. So I haven't, I haven't worked it all the way through, but that's, that's, I'm glad that you're doing that kind of work. Uh, We are getting to the end. So it's time to answer that question that I ask everybody uh, with everything that we go through as mixed people. And that's that time of sometimes not even accepting ourselves. I want to make sure that we, we do always try to find that spot here on the show. So what is it that you do love most about being a mixed
1: person? I just like how it has allowed me to see different perspectives. Mm -hmm. It really has pushed me to, to understand why the world works the way it does, it's pushed my curiosity. It's pushed me to learn more about different cultures and histories. And I think also, it's helped me to kind of not see things in such a confined way. I think we could all Mm. learn things from each other. Mm -hmm. I think before, I was very much into this rigid thinking, like, Oh, this is a certain path, you need to do certain steps, and that's how it should be. Mm. And now I feel like the world is just endless opportunities of learning and understanding. Just also understanding that things are outside of our control and it's okay. That has really helped me the most about being mixed was that there's so many things outside of our control. Right.
0: That's... That's a good lesson to take away. Um, We can't control how people see us. We can't control how they code us. We can't control what stereotypes that they're putting on us. And I guess that's also part of being our mixed ass selves is just like, don't, don't let it affect if we can not let it affect us and just allow us to, to kind of control our own perspective and things. So that's, That's amazing. Uh, Thank you so much for coming back and doing this with me. I really love this conversation. I think we got more into the stuff that we didn't get to last time. So so it was great. Um, I am sad that we lost what we had, but... um, but I do feel like we did, I think we did a good job today (laughs) (laughs) and getting it back. I I really want you to know how much I value you. I mean, I think it, I don't, it hasn't been like maybe quite a whole year. Maybe it's been more like eight or months or so that since we and I have been kind of in, in interacting, but I really appreciate you. I appreciate your, your perspective. I think you're really empathetic and thoughtful in a way that, um, you know, even within our mixed group and our mixed communities, sometimes we don't offer empathy to each other and and where, you know, we can be really rigid. Like you said, you know, sometimes we're affected by the rigidity around us. And so some of us remain that way, but I, I feel it from you when I talk to you or when I hear you on the group chats and, and I just really do value you. So I appreciate that you've stayed with me through this and that you continue to come back and everything. So um, thank you so much for being who you are.
1: Thank you. Thank you. For being <laughs> who you are too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> Militantly Mixed is a Main Hustle Media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed.